And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on all the way you want, son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Everybody and welcome to episode 71 of Lupa's Bits. I am your host, Lupa, and as you can tell, I am not as loud or as jovial as I usually am. Um, it's been a rather quiet day. <laughs> or at least I've tried to have a rather quiet day. Uh, I woke up about, I think it was about 2.34 when I looked at the clock with the migraine from hell. Just putting my head on the pillow hurt. So I sat for like an hour. I sat up for about an hour. And then I laid back down. And it hurt. It just hurt. I was not happy. It's a morning. <laughs> Those of you that know me know that if it is anything to do with anything involving any part of my body, the neck up, that's my kryptonite. I turn into a whining cranky, bitchy, sniveling baby. And those that had to endure me today, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think I've said I'm sorry a few times. Once, you know, I stopped being the evil, nasty monster bitch from hell that I was earlier. My live studio audience is laughing. Yes, he's here this week. Um, I am podcasting at 11 o'clock at night, so, and he's awake. Surprise, surprise. He doesn't have to work tomorrow. You don't have to work tomorrow, right? Okay. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's been my day. I don't think I actually got out of the bed until afternoon. Uh, I got up, but, uh, he brought me coffee. I sat up, I inhaled the coffee, I fell back down. Um, I think I got up around 1.30 and had a shower, somewhere around there. I had it as hot as I could possibly stand it, because I didn't even think it was hotter than I could possibly stand it, and I'm still cold. But I had a shower, so I'm clean. <laughs> I'm miserable, but I'm clean. That's, you know, always a plus. You're gonna die, do it smelling good. <laughs> and do it quietly. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's been a rough day, and I was going to podcast earlier from the I Don't Want to Adult Today blanket fort, but that got interrupted <laughs> by a sick short person. Um, it's kind of funny, it's almost like she had the sixth sense, like she knew there was something interesting going on, so she needed to come and check it out. So... I mean, that's what happens when you have sick kids home. You know, they get in the way. <laughs> that's what they do. <laughs> so, yeah, here I am. It's 11.03. Ooh, I started at 11 dead on because I am three minutes into the podcast. That is pretty impressive because I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> I'm actually pretty impressed with that. So, yeah, we are sitting at 71. Um... 
I have a few things uh, to yammer about. Nothing too exciting. Because, you know, head hurts. Don't have to think. Uh, generally, my humor I have to sort of think about, kind of. You get what you get this week. <laughs> and if the editing sucks, well, that's because I had to do it myself. Um, oh, sorry, my live studio audience is going to take care of that. Um, long story short, in that department, we are wishing the best to our wonderful producer and um, hoping that he has nothing but success in his future endeavors and thanking him very much for the undertaking that he had with editing uh, Mythbits and edit just editing my podcast alone. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not easy to work with, but uh, carry on my wayward son carry on <laughs> okay so yeah there's a job opening <laughs> if anybody's interested in in uh coding a podcast i don't I, what i'm trying to read his sign language yes there's a big empty gap right there <laughs> anyway um send in your coding skills let's see what you got <laughs> okay so I had a very strange half dream, half thought um, earlier this week as I was in a mildly uncomfortable, moderately awkward snuggle position. <laughs> and it was... Uh, three o'clock in the morning, maybe, when I had this thought. So, and yes, I was completely sober. I was not completely awake. Um, so, no, all cylinders were not firing. But I was completely sober. So, this is not pothead logic. So, just forget that, Mish. Um, I had this thought that okay so you see in movies there's these great snuggle positions and cinematically they are aesthetically pleasing they look like they would be so comfortable and so intimate and so lovely when in reality for the most part most of those positions are awkwardly uncomfortable somebody's arms fallen asleep somebody's hand is in an awkward position and they don't know what to do with it or they look like a t-rex they just no they don't work okay take your standard partner one lying on their back arm out partner two snuggles into armpit okay first of all you better make sure partner one's wearing deodorant so head is in pit ish area on shoulder sometimes on upper arm so that arm's gonna fall asleep there that, that's a given within seven minutes there's gonna be pins and needles it's gonna happen and partner one's arm's gonna start flopping around and move it from your head to your shoulder to your back back to the shoulder flat out on the bed take your pick it's gonna start moving around which in turn is going to disturb you trying to sleep 
Now that's just partner one's issue. Partner two, first of all, your head is lying on a bicep. So every time they move their arm, the muscle moves, which bobs your head. So, you know, it's like trying to sleep on a waterbed and somebody keeps moving. Your head keeps going up and down and up and down and up and down. <laughs> so then you move your head and you get into the crook. And that's, that's that little soft spot in between the chest and the shoulder. You know what I'm talking about. Women, if you have boobs, it's the little saggy spot where before the boob starts. Yeah, right there. So you get your head into the little dip. Well, then your ear's covered. Now, if you're like me, if your ear gets pressed on and covered, it plugs up. It's a sinus thing. So then you kind of scoot your ear down. So now you're in the pit. So your ear's in the open pit. Your head's kind of half in the smooshy part. The side of your face is on the ribcage. And they're breathing. Which is okay. Snoring gets a little loud. Because your ear's now in a tunnel. But the breathing part's okay. It's kind of rhythmic. It's kind of, you know. But there's one problem. What do you do with the one arm? Now, the other arm's easy. You throw it over their chest. You snuggle it up under their chin. You lay, whatever. It's just, it's it, free roaming. It has places to go. But the one you're lying on, it's kind of, you tuck it up under your chin. Well, you do that, then your elbow's going to hurt after a while. And that shoulder's going to start to hurt. And your wrist is going to hurt. And it's going to get sweaty under your chin. Trust me, I know. I sleep with my hand curled up under my chin every night. Whether I'm snuggled up or not. <laughs> I roll over and I tuck yeah, up under my chin. Same arm. Oh yeah, same arm. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so, Or you can have it like down a little farther and then you look like a T-Rex. And there's just this hand flopping around. You're like, what do you do with it? Or... You can stretch it out down the side between your bodies. And you can either lay it on the bed and hope one of you don't roll on it. That hurts. Or you just kind of place it on the, you know, upper thigh. But don't move. I'm warning you, don't move the hand. Unless you're willing to commit to what that movement might lead to, don't move the hand. So now you're like lying there trying to not move. Doesn't work, does it? Not comfortable. Neither one of you are getting any sleep. So you lay there for about 15 minutes and then if you've been together long enough, it's like, okay, assume the sleeping positions and you both roll over. <laughs> Which is kind of how it happens. So that's your standard movie position. Whenever... You see people in the bed and they're cuddled up and they're talking. That's the movie position. Why? Because you can get really great camera angles with that position. The reality of that position, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> and I guess that kind of leads to the whole, like, lends to the whole um, fantasy of the movies. Even like any romance movie you want, you watch, you know that crap ain't real. Disney's ruined most women for their expectations of what romance is supposed to be like. So has Hallmark. But we all know that crap ain't real. Well, even right down to the intimate snuggling positions, that crap ain't real. Doesn't work. 
<laughs> you know, you're good for about 10 minutes and then you got pins and needles happening somewhere. And like, what do you do with your legs? You know, I can't, I can't sleep with one leg on top of the other. Most women can't. It's hard on our hips, hard on our knees. If you're over 40, it's hard on everything. <laughs> Just everything from the waist down, having your legs on top of each other, they get sweaty. It's just uncomfortable. Looks cute in the movies. Not so much in real life. You have to have them kind of like side by side, separated side by side. Well, it's kind of hard to do when you're in that position because your butt ends up, you know, three feet away. And then you've got a knee in their hip. So what do you do? Throw it over their leg, right? Okay. So they, now you've got your leg thrown over their leg. Again, don't move your hand. Don't move the leg. You get the leg thrown out. Careful where you're throwing that leg because, you know, knees have been known to take things out. Be careful with the knee. So what happens if you're shorter than the leg you're throwing your leg over? <laughs> it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, it doesn't... Because the leg is supposed to kind of fit in the hip groove between, you know, the pelvis and the leg and... Well, if they've got bigger legs than you and they're taller, it doesn't work. <laughs> Not only that, but partner one, the one lying on their back, is now pinned. They can't move at all. Where are they going to move their leg? So, again, you're running into pins and needles. Uncomfortable sleeping positions. Now, another favorite movie position is spooning. I'm five foot three. Um, I'm dating a guy over six feet. You figure it out. It doesn't work. <laughs> no. And I mean, I don't think I've ever actually, even in the movies, you know, what looks to be like the perfect spoon is not. There's something crazy going on under them blankets. There has to be, because unless they are, are like disproportionate in size, it wouldn't work. I mean, yes, the bigger, taller person goes in the back. That's a given because if you don't, then it's not spooning, it's backpacking. <laughs> you get a shorter person in the back, it just looks like a backpack. <laughs> really, it does. I mean, I just, my head's on is like between the shoulder blades and, it, you know, there's just backpack. Um, you know, I'm going to laugh about that later. <laughs> anyway, so if your torsos aren't matching, like my, it's weird because his legs are a lot longer than my legs, but our torsos are different. My torso, I think we're about almost the same height sitting down. Might be a couple of inches difference when we're sitting side by side. So his height comes from his legs, <laughs> which means to get that perfect spoon, you know, where the legs are, are, are he's kind of half down my back. It just, it just doesn't work. So then you can do like the, the, the altered spoon where you've got, you know, you've both got a leg straight and there's a leg thrown over the straight leg and then spooned into the bent leg. And so... I've done a little research and I was looking into 
cuddling positions because, you know, I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss any. And wow, <laughs> there are a whole lot more snuggling, cuddling positions out now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking cuddling. I enjoy it. I'm a big snuggler. Um, it's great for a relationship. It releases oxytocin. It does a whole bunch of neat stuff. Hang on, let me find out. It, there's a whole bunch of benefits to um, cuddling. Now, I mean, obviously, it, it creates more intimacy in your relationship because you're feeling, depending on the position you're in, you're still connected. You're kind of, you're, you're touching, you're physically touching, so you're bonded. And did you know that if you cuddle with your friends, it creates a closer bond with them as well? So that's why girls are, are so huggy and, you know, we have no problems throwing a bunch of pillows on the floor and all lying down in a big pile and, you know, leaning on each other. <laughs> Not in that way. <laughs> Suddenly my large studio audience has a vast interest in what I'm about to say. <laughs> Women are just more open that way. I, I can't see guys getting together and, you know, having a beer and a slap in the back and then, you know, cuddling up to watch the hockey game. <laughs> I'm trying to picture my brother <laughs> and his best friend. My brother definitely have to be the big spoon because his best friend's about my height. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad he doesn't listen to my podcast. He'd kill me. So, cuddling releases oxytocin, which they call the cuddling hormone, um, and it leaves you feeling loved and connected, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Again, not knocking it. I happen to love it. Might be a little addicted to it. It's good. It also boosts your immune system, which I did not know. Um, and if you add Swedish mas massage into your cuddling routine, your immune system will seriously up its game. Just saying. Now, Swedish massage is a technique that uses long gliding strokes, firm kneading, and tapping. I think we could leave the tapping part out. No tapping. <laughs> I guess when the Swedish say, I'd tap that, they mean massage. <laughs> Um, so according to a 2010 study, people who received Swedish massage had more white blood cells, less of a, hor of a hormone that increases the stress hormone cortisol, a decrease in existing cortisol levels, and a decrease in cytokines, cytokines. First one or second one? You're nodding. Which one did <laughs> cytokines? Okay that may cause inflammation. Cuddling also helps you communicate emotions. Research confirms that touch is a way to communicate emotions, such as love, gratitude, and sympathy between loved ones. Happiness and sadness can be communicated through touch, too. Surprisingly, the result of a 2009 study found that touch also fosters emotional communication between strangers. 
this is COVID, people. Don't don't go out and touch a stranger, okay? Don't touch nothing. Keep hands to yourself and don't lick shit. Just saying. Cuddling also lowers blood pressure, which might explain why some people feel less anxious when they're hugging their partner. I was waiting for him to nod and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, touch has a calming effect that may lower blood pressure. Research has shown short periods of hand-holding and hugging lo lowers both dystolic and systolic blood pressure. High blood pressure is linked to heart disease and stroke, so regular cuddling should be a part of any high, blusher, high blood pressure treatment plan. So there you go. Relieve stress and anxiety. Look at that. According to one 2004 study, massage in the form of stroking, squeezing, and stretching can help relieve stress and anxiety and in by increasing dopamine and serotonin in the body. These two neurotransmitters help regulate your mood. Dopamine also regulates the pleasure center of your brain. Helps relieve pain, depending on which position you're in and how long you're in it. <laughs> Cuddling in the form of therapeutic touch may even have the power to reduce pain. Mm, that's up for debate. So the bottom line basically is that cuddling is good for you. So let's talk cuddling positions. I've already mentioned a few. The spoon. Um, now this website that I'm looking at says, you know, be it with your partner, your favorite four-legged friend, or a comfy body support pill. I'd like to see you try and, and cuddle a cat. Good luck. <laughs> Unless you're the resident six-year-old, and then the cat's just freeze in fear. <laughs> she can pretty much do what she wants. <laughs> Don't kill the cat. <laughs> so... There's more to cuddling than simply wrapping your arms around someone and holding tight. Cuddling is actually a love language all its own. Some people live to cuddle and latch onto their partners every chance they get. <laughs> you didn't see me, but my arm is up. I am a snuggly person. Uh, others, not so much. They reserve cuddling for the bedroom as a stepping stone for the main event. <laughs> you know, spooning leads to forking. And forget about the common perception that men aren't natural cuddlers. Turns out they long to snuggle up more than women. Hugging, snuggling, massage, and kissing all fall under the cuddling umbrella. Yes, I know, you're a big snuggler. Now everybody that listens knows too. I'm lucky. He's very cuddly. There's no right or wrong way to cuddle, but these common cuddling positions can pave the way to epic cuddling sessions. Epic. <laughs> I'm sorry. An epic cuddling session. Uh, I don't know what their definition of epic cuddling is, but I know what my definition of epic cuddling is. <laughs> okay, so the spoon. And we've already discussed the spoon. I'm generally the little spoon. Because I'm small. So they're saying it's the ultimate cuddling position. Now, they're suggesting that if you're going to do it to sleep, 
that you only spoon the bottom half and you let the top half be free range so that you don't get pinned, you can move around, nothing falls asleep. I did actually see a position on here that I have to say would be one of my favorite sleeping cuddling positions um, and it just kind of happens. You don't even have to plan it. It's just, it happens. So then there's the half spoon, which is the one where I told you about where the partner, the one's lying with, on their back and the other one, you know. <laughs> so it says if traditional spooning leaves you in a hot mess and not in a good way, consider the half spoon. It allows you to be close enough to your partner to feel warm and fuzzy, but far enough away that you won't feel claustrophobic. They're talking about the little spoon. Okay, so this is generally when I'm ready to sleep and, you know, the rolling over has happened and <laughs> we've assumed the position. It's called the butt cheek to cheek. And it's usually our lower backs and our butts are touching. Sometimes our feet, <laughs> you know, our legs. And they say in this position, you and your partner are facing opposite directions, but your butt cheeks and lower backs are touching. Knees are often bent, although you may stretch one leg and play footsies if you're feeling playful. No, no, if I'm facing that position, there's no playful left. I am going to sleep. There will be snoring in T minus 20 and counting. <laughs> drool. Yes, I drool. There's drooling involved. Uh, this position means you want to maintain a connection with your partner, but you value your freedom and sleep is high on your priority list. <clears throat> Then there's the honeymoon hug. This one, I'm going to call it a movie pose because it's comfortable for about 10 minutes and then somebody's shifting and moving around. Cuddling is over the top when your relationship is in the honeymoon stage and you and your partner can't get enough of each other. You want to entwine yourselves even during sleep. I must be strange because no, <laughs> I flop around too much. <laughs> There'd be damage. Somebody get hurt. <laughs> so you want to entwine yourselves even during sleep. In the honeymoon hug position, you and your partner face each other and entangle limbs. You're so close you can smell the morning breath. But it doesn't matter because you're wild for each other. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I can think of only one reason why the honeymoon hug would come into play. <laughs> let's go back to the lesson about spooning <laughs> the sweetheart cradle now this position is kind of like the half spoon but it's more used when you need to be comforted you're kind of curled up in a ball your knees are drawn up your head is more on their chest their arm is bent up under you. Like they've got both their arms, you know, bent up and you're holding hands and your head's resting on their chest, listening to their heartbeat. Then there's the leg hug. Now that's another one that we've kind of done falling asleep. You know, one leg will flop over somebody else's leg. Not somebody else's, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I have a headache. Leave me alone. 
So it's like the cheek to cheek. <laughs> this position is popular when sleep is your priority, but you both still want physical contact. After you both find a comfortable position, you put one leg on top of your partner's leg. Now, keep in mind, you may have to readjust if their leg gets uncomfortable. Generally, the butt, the, the, the butt cheek to cheek is, is the best sleeping cuddle position ever. You're both comfortable. You're still maintaining contact and you can sleep. So then there's the butt pillow. I'm going to tell you now, if your partner is any sort of gastrointestinal issues, this is not the position for you to fall asleep in, okay? There's a strange thing that happens to the human body when it relaxes and falls asleep. The mass amounts of air that you're drawing in come out and not necessarily out your mouth. So the butt pillow might not be the best place to fall asleep. You might wake up when I taste yuck. Because <laughs> trust me, you can taste it. So yeah, it says if you like to scooch down and use your partner's butt for a pillow, you may be avoiding close contact or you may feel submissive. Or you could just need more padding to rest your head. Or you could be a weirdo that likes to go around and smell people's farts. I don't know. There's people out there that do that. I don't recommend that position for sleeping. So then there's the lap pillow. Now, this one's interesting because you can do it lying on your back. You can do it lying on your side. It's a good binge-watching position if you're the one doing the laying. If you're the one doing the sitting and being the pillow, you're kind of trapped. Make sure you pee before you decide to assume this position, especially if you're going to binge watch something on TV, because you essentially have to sit up straight, knees bent, feet on floor. There's, there's no moving. I mean, there are alternatives to this position. Um, like you can have one leg stretched and they can be in between the legs with the head on the out, the, the, uh, the one outside leg. But if you're the pillow, you're kind of stuck in one position while the person using the pillow can lie on their back. They can lie on their side. They can lie on their stomach, whatever. So make sure if you're going to do the lap pillow position, you at least flip a coin or establish, you know, one time you're going to be the pillow, the next time your partner's going to be the pillow. Make it fair. But it does give a vulnerability to the person that is, is the one lying down. Um, now, this article says it's great for stealing a kiss here or there. <sighs> the logistics of that is a little complicated. They have to be out far enough on your legs that you're not actually having to snap your spine in half to reach down and kiss them. Just saying. Think about it. I'm short. I know. So then there's the arm draper, which is great if you're lying there just talking because you're essentially lying face to face, eyeball to eyeball. 
with your arms kind of draped, you know, one arm thrown over each other, the other arm under the pillow, under your head, whatever, but thrown over. And like I said, it's great if you're talking, you're having that intimate moment, you're trying to be romantic, you are eyeball to eyeball, okay? If you're any closer, your eyelashes would be entwined. Sleeping doesn't really work because you kind of, you ever feel like somebody's watching you while you're sleeping? <laughs> yeah. So, as I said, there's a lot of benefits to cuddling. There's a lot of positions. And I'm sure when you're in a relationship long enough, you establish the position that is most comfortable for you. But I'm telling you, that three o'clock thought about how cinematic cuddling positions are aesthetically pleasing on the screen, but not physically maintainable in reality. It doesn't work. I'm telling you, it doesn't work. So that's my weird and wonderful thought for the week. <laughs> Strange things that go on in my head when I'm half asleep and dopamine but anyway it's three o'clock in the morning <laughs> i was just drifting back off um all yeah all cylinders were not firing at that point in time conscious coherent thought was a thing of the past it was a memory at that moment but that's the, the thought that just kind of wafted through my brain as I was, because I was in that awkward pterodactyl cuddle position. And I'm like, what do I do with my hand? Where do I put my hand? I mean, what do I do with it? I look like a pterodactyl. I mean, I could fan myself and just kind of flopping around over here. It's going to go to sleep. And now his arm's going to go to sleep because every time he moved, his bicep would move and my head would bob. I'm like, no, I gotta move my head. So yeah, that's that's where all of that came from. <laughs> and all of that thought process probably happened in like a space of less than a minute. And I think I mumbled half of it to him, rolled over and went to sleep. <laughs> I can only imagine what he was thinking. <laughs> You know, cinematic cuddling positions do not match reality. It's <laughs> kind of how it went. But, yeah. I really, really wanted to do this from the blanket fort of non-adulting. It's kind of neat. I, had the, I was sitting on the bed, and I had, well, it's kind of a beanbag, actually. Really big beanbag. <laughs> And I think all the beans inside are flat now. <laughs> we had to fluff up the beans. We should get more beans. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. <laughs> Butterflies! Squirrel! Um, and my head was still really pounding, and I knew I had to get the podcast done and out because it needs to be edited and coding needs to be done. Um, so I needed to do it. But then we found out I didn't need to do it right away, so I didn't have to do it in the blanket fort of non-adulting. Uh, but I grabbed the blanket, I 
I don't want to adult today. So I threw it over me and my laptop. <laughs> it was kind of cool. It was very quiet. It's very intimate, very dark. Um, until I opened my laptop and burned my retinas because it was so very bright. Uh, it was kind of like little daggers coming into my eyes, into my brain, and then exploding. So that wasn't all that great. Yeah, it was a bad headache. I just, I you know, loop it down, man. Loop it down. Oh, I haven't had a headache like that in probably two months. I about two months, three months ago, maybe. Hmm. Pausing for more caffeine because, you know, that's what my head needs. But, yeah, it was, it was, light was hurting my head, sound was hurting my head, breathing was hurting my head, blinking, you know, anything that I had to do, movement, whatever, didn't matter. I sat up for a bit, I was going to have a shower, and just the act of getting everything together for my shower, and sitting in my chair waiting for the bathroom to be available, because when you're in a house of 11 people, waiting for the bathroom is what you do most of the time. <laughs> well, there's not 11 people. Eight. Eight? Yeah, about that. Waiting for the bathroom is kind of what you do. There's one bathroom. Um, if anybody who's lived in a household with more than one person in the house, if you only have one bathroom, you're usually waiting for the bathroom. <laughs> like, what do you do waiting for the bathroom? Oh, who's turning it? Not mine. I'm out here in the hallway waiting for the bathroom. So it's, you know, whoever gets there first. And yeah, I remember as kids, we only had one bathroom. And yeah, fights ensued, I tell you. Fights ensued. I mean, there's 10 years between me and my sister and 12 between me and my brother. I'm the oldest. When I had to go, I'll knock a kid down. To get to that bathroom. I'm not. No. I'm sorry. I am bigger and taller than you. And I can pick you up by the top of your head. And move you. And get into the bathroom. You're wearing diapers. What do you need to get in there for? Just. I don't, it's a pull up. Pee yourself. I gotta go. So. Yeah. My parents when they bought. Um, when we moved. To Midland. And they bought the house. The first house in Midland. They had a bathroom upstairs. And then they had a toilet in the laundry room on the, it was, it was a split level. So I can't really even say like the basement because it wasn't the basement. It was the second main floor <laughs> because it was on a hill. It was built on a hill. So you come in the front door and there's, to the left was the formal living room and dining room. And then like you're standing in a little vestibule, as my mother called it, closet you know, wall, door, into the kitchen. You go into the kitchen, and there's the kitchen eating area, the kitchen, and then there's a little hallway with a back side door. Not a back door, side door. And stairs that went up and stairs that went down. The stairs that went up, there was my brother's room on the left, my mom and dad's room at the end of the hallway, my sister's room beside them, and then the bathroom. When you go down the bottom of the stairs on the right hand side was the laundry room and that laundry room was a sink and a toilet that was my bathroom with the washer and the dryer and there was a laundry chute from the upstairs bathroom right straight into the washing machine it was great 
And then to the left was the family room where we were allowed to hang out and watch TV. We weren't allowed to go in the living room because it was formal and had nice furniture. And, you know, nobody ever went in there, got dusted once a week, but nobody ever used it. Okay, it did get used on special occasions. Um, and it did at one point hold a picnic table. That's a funny story. Anyway, so there's the 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 family room that had the beat up furniture and the ugly green shag area rug with the tassels on the end of it, the circular, you know, the circular one that had like the, the, the fringe all around the outside of it. It was really ugly. It was that like supposed to be forest green, but it looked more like snot green. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> and then you had like the big chunky furniture with like the wood. <laughs> it was just, you know, awful. And a pain just tapped to dust every Saturday. Um, and then you had the sliding glass doors that went out into the backyard beside the laundry room. And before you went into the family room was my bedroom. And then you had the stairs to the basement. In the basement, there was the playroom, my dad's workshop, my mom's workshop, the gun room. You know, my dad was a duck hunter. He called it the gun room. It was pretty much like his gun safe in a corner over by the sub pump. <laughs> oh, um, that was a cool house. I like that house, but it had two bathrooms and my bathroom was the laundry room. I tell you though, I was very, very protective of that bathroom. That was my bathroom. Don't use my bathroom. No, I don't care. I no, you're four. I don't care. You're four. You have to go up three flights of stairs to pee go up three flights of stairs to pee. That's my bathroom. <laughs> we use my bathroom. But it was a nice little neighborhood that we lived in. And my dad was on the fire department. And they were still young. So they liked to, you know, hang out with their friends, do stuff. I don't know. And there was, the firemen would have like barbecues because most, it's, it was really weird. Most of the firemen kind of lived within a two block radius of each other. <laughs> and the there was our backyard, and then there was Ray's backyard, and then there was Joe's backyard, and they were all kind of connected in three, like the three corners were connected. We didn't know the fourth one. Didn't care. And they were having a barbecue over at Joe's. All the firemen were there. They had gone, there was a golf tournament that day, so they'd been out on the golf course drinking beer and doing stupid stuff in golf carts because, you know, they're firemen. <laughs> they, they can do stuff like that. And they ended up back at Joe's for the barbecue and um, they came over and it had, they had already asked my mom. They came over and they borrowed our picnic table because they needed another picnic table. And they pretty much just lifted it over the fences into the yard. Now, my mom told them in no uncertain terms that they had to return it back to the house. Now, to help you understand the mentality of these firemen and the level of their humor and the extent that they will go for a joke, one of the firemen about two months before had gotten married. Now, him and his new wife had a couple of dogs. They'd lived together for a while. They had a couple of dogs. And they had asked one of the other firemen, hey, can you look after our dogs? Come over and make sure they're all right. We go on our honeymoon for the weekend. They're only going for the weekend. 
Virus. Sure, not a problem. They leave Friday. Well, they returned on Sunday. Their kitchen was downstairs in the family room. The washer and dryer was upstairs in the main master bedroom. The master bedroom was in the living room. <laughs> completely. And I mean, they didn't just move the furniture and put it in that room. They set the room up to look like the room it came out of. <laughs> completely rearranged this poor guy's house. All of their furniture. Emptied out the drawers. Moved the dresser down. Put everything back and closed the drawers. Oh, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> to top it off, because they got married in September, so the heat wasn't on then. And everybody has forced air, usually. Like, you have vents that run through the house. and um, They filled all the vents with confetti. So while the, the, the immediacy of the rearranging of the furniture joke happened right away when they got back on Sunday, the confetti joke didn't happen for another two months. <laughs> Till they turned on the heat and the air kicked on and all of a sudden all this confetti is blowing out of every vent in the entire house. <laughs> so this is the mentality that my mother was dealing with when she told them to return the picnic table to the house or they'd be in trouble. Well, they returned the picnic table to the house. They returned it to her formal living room. Yeah, and then they 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 brought the picnic table. Now they had to, they kept coming back to get my dad because my dad had this habit. He he liked to drink, but he also liked to sleep. So he would drink and then want to go to sleep. So he would drink enough at the, he was had drank enough at the party. He was bombed. Came home, went to bed, and about twenty minutes later, somebody noticed he was missing, and three firemen come over. Upstairs they go. Ten minutes later, back down the stairs they go with my dad. Out, back over. You know, half an hour, 45 minutes later, my dad comes back. Back upstairs in the bed. Ten minutes later, three firemen come over, get my dad, take him back to the park. So the last time, he locked the door this time. You know, locked the bedroom door. On firemen. Locked the bedroom door on firemen. last words I heard before I heard my dad's feet hit the floor were, we're kicking in, Wayne. We're firemen. We can do it. We'll kick it in. You're right, Dad. Jesus Christ. His feet hit the floor. He opens the door. He stops down the stairs, goes back to the party. He gave up. So they finally, they he comes home and he brings the three firemen with him and the picnic table. And they bring the picnic table into the formal living room which is right inside the front door. And it's kind of like a living room, dining room. And then they all sit down. My dad looks at me, because I'm just kind of standing there going, holy crap. Mom's going to shit kittens. <laughs> There's a picnic table in her beautiful living room. She's going to have a fit. I'm looking at my dad going, guys, knowing you, she's going to kill you. He's got his cheeks are all nice and rosy, and he's got this big grin on his face. He doesn't care. I have a picture of it. It's really cute. Um, he says, Steph, we're hungry. Make us some sandwiches. Pardon? Make us some sandwiches. Um, okay. 
So I go to the fridge. There's not much in there because it all went over to the party because it was a barbecue. So we had, I think, bologna, white bread, and mustard. That's what they got. And these are the best bologna sandwiches we've ever had. I get them each beer out of the fridge. They're sitting at the kitchen table in the middle of my mom's formal living room, eating bologna sandwiches and drinking beer. <laughs> if you go through my Facebook, I think the picture's on there. I know I sent it to you. I know I showed you that picture. I'm talking to my live studio audience. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it's the story of the picnic table, how it ended up in my mom's formal living room. <laughs> she was not impressed. <laughs> Needless to say, there were three very hungover firemen the next day coming back to help a very hungover dad take the picnic table out of the formal living room and around the back of the house and back into the backyard. <laughs> Meanwhile, my mother's standing there with a very hungover, stern look on her face. <laughs> She was hungover, too. Yeah. I was old enough that um, when I got up the next morning and realized that, you know, they were threatening to kill each other, that they were both very hungover, and I just needed to be not there. <laughs> so the picnic table was returned. I left. I was out. I'm gone. See ya. <laughs> I'm not hanging around. Mom and Dad are just going to kill each other. And... I'm going to say something stupid and I'm going to get end up in trouble. So I'm just, I'm not going to be here. I'm out. But yeah, don't ask me how we ended up on the picnic table in the living room from cuddling positions. But heck, you know, you go with what you know. So let me see what I got for you. I did have a Florida man thing, but I lost it and my head hurts. So we're going to, sorry, Misha, we're going to skip Florida Man this week. I do, I did find something actually interesting, a fun fact. I'm not exactly sure how I came across it or what I was looking for. Oh, sorry, The Witcher just came across the TV. I had to pause for a moment and appreciate the beauty that is Henry Cavell. Cavill, I don't care how you pronounce his last name, he's pretty. Okay, he's gone now. Uh, okay, so I did come across this article. It says, these U.S. states have the worst drivers. And I thought it was kind of funny. I'm like, oh, California's got to be like in the top two. I was close. So, number 25, Texas. Now, a lot of wide open spaces in Texas. A lot of long roads in Texas. So, I can I can understand if they're speeding. What? Okay, and I'm going to say this at the very beginning. What boggles my mind is the percentage of people that are insured. Everybody should be insured. It should be 100%. No question. Why? Are, I, I, how do they know that these people aren't insured? Like... Oh, yeah, I'm not insured. <laughs> oh, look, it's a survey. Nope, I don't have insurance. Idiots. Anyway, so they have 91.7% of drivers in the Lone Star State are insured. Only 91.7% are insured. Texan motorists are notorious for driving past the speed limit. Yeah, stay out of Texas. Number 24 is Hawaii. Now, speed's an issue in Texas. They go too fast. Speed's also an issue in Hawaii. They go too slow. <laughs> I've already told my live studio audience, if we ever go to Hawaii, he's not driving. Um, lollygagging 
or driving slowly in the far left lane. Okay, you know what? Even that makes my hair curl. You're going to be in the left lane, in the far left lane, which is technically the passing lane. At least do 15 over the speed limit or get the hell out of the way when you see somebody fast coming. That, that, that does make me twitch. So, yeah, they're, they're known for driving slowly in the far left lane and has reportedly resulted in accidents, traffic jams, and no sort of shortage of road rage. And it doesn't tell me what the percentage of insured drivers... Oh, wait, yes, it does. 90.7% of the drivers in the Aloha state have auto insurance. All right. 22 is Oregon. The Beaver State. That might be why. The Beaver State drivers also tend to be more cautious on the roads. Gee, okay, well, that makes sense. If you look at the picture, there's like two deer trying to get into the car. If you've ever driven through deer country or moose country, which Oregon is deer country or moose country, um, you tend to be a little cautious, especially at dusk and dawn, because that's when the idiots like to jump across the road. I don't know what it is, but they do. Uh, so one person said, I've been in Oregon for 25 years and other drivers just make me give up on the human race. Sometimes they drive as if they have a flask of water on the dashboard that they are trying not to tip over acceleration. Nah, let's just let the idle of the engine bring us up to highway speed. Oh, and apparently in Oregon yield means stop and stay for longer than you would at a normal stop sign. You're not driving in Oregon either. <laughs> That caution might be warranted as the state officials and local media regularly warn residents warn residents to avoid. Wow, there are way too many W's in that sentence. Let's try it again. That caution might be warranted as state officials and local media regularly warn residents to avoid wildlife. There we go, collisions, which see an uptick in the months of November. And December. It's because the packs are moving. The herds are moving because they've eaten all the stuff that's not covered in snow. They have to go find more stuff that's not covered in snow. What's their percentage of insured drivers? It's not going to tell me. All right, moving on. Number 22, Georgia. I think it's tied with Oregon. The Peach State might be renowned for its southern hospitality, but it ties for 22nd place when it comes to terrible driving. I can attest to that. Georgia has 1.12 fatalities per 100 million vehicle miles traveled, and 87.6% of drivers are insured. The city of Atlanta gets a particularly bad rap for its rush hour traffic and speeding incidents. We would give up our own firstborn if it meant 10 seconds less in this hell-on-earth traffic. Good to know. Moving to a slower state in two months, I can't take the ridiculous stress and anxiety involved while driving Georgia's highways. It sucks every joyful thing about this city away. <laughs> Said somebody on Reddit. Alright, I've driven in Georgia, I can attest. Number 21 is Maryland. In the old state old line state, nearly 86% of motorists have car insurance. Nearly 86%, not 86%, nearly 
have car insurance. But Maryland reports 4.07 DUI arrests for every 1,000 drivers. Wow. For the past two months, I cannot count the number of times I've nearly died or gotten into an accident by crazy, stressed-out Maryland drivers. I have almost been forced off the road by people speeding from behind, then weaving into my lane right in front of me. Turn signals aren't even an option. They're just a notice that I have already moved into your lane already. By the way, yellow lights just mean speed, speed, speed. You've driven in Ontario, then. <laughs> it's kind of the same. Number 20, Washington. Okay, this I can understand because, I mean, they're all politicians. What I can understand is why only 78% of drivers in the Evergreen State are insured. Emma? <laughs> you know I'm going to make you say it out loud. <laughs> Washington State is different than Washington State. Yeah, well, you know, still Washington. One of the lowest rates on the list. And the state also has a 4.84 DUI arrests for every 1,000 drivers. Seattle, one of the country's most congested areas, has been criticized for both its speedy, aggressive drivers and slow, timid ones. Awesome. I've been hit and run three times in three years in Seattle. I temporarily live in London. When I get back, I'm buying a camera. Um, okay. Random. <laughs> Louisiana comes in at number 19. The southern state also ranks poorly for its drivers with its capital city of Baton Rouge, usually pegged as the worst. Regional magazine The Advocate says motorists in Baton Rouge either drive aggressively with a murderous intent to steamroll every other vehicle, or too politely always offering you the courtesy of taking the next turn as a queue of angry drivers forms behind them. <laughs> Louisiana has 1.42 fatalities per 100 million vehicle miles traveled, and 88.3% of drivers are insured. Just don't get it here. Most of the people are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet, but as soon as they get into a car, it's like a hellbound, hellhound took over their soul. <laughs> I like the, the Reddit comments. I really do. They're kind of funny. Number 18 comes in with Idaho. The gem state isn't exactly treasured for the deeds of its drivers, ranking below average on smart assets lists. 86.8% of drivers are insured, but there are 6.3 DUI arrests per 1,000 drivers, which is relatively high compared to other states. Idaho only recently introduced a hands-free cell phone law. Drivers can no longer hold an electronic device while on the road, including white while at a red light or stop sign, with tickets beginning to be issued in January 2021. They're a little behind on the times. I relate driving in Boise to my high school days when all the kids got their license and school just let out and everyone was racing off campus and around that area. That's what driving in Boise feels like. It's like driving with a bunch of high school-aged kids rushing to leave school right after the bell went off, only it's not kids. It's everyone. Everywhere. <laughs> all right. They have an interesting name, too. On Reddit, they're Griffin Dumble. I think they're a Harry Potter fan. Number 16 is tied. New Mexico. Only 78.2% of drivers are insured, and there are 1.53 fatalities per 100 million vehicles traveled in the land of enchantment. Maybe the land of enchantment, but it's not the land of insurement. 
Safewise says New Mexico lands among the most dangerous state for driving, particularly for speeding, distracted driving, and drunk driving fatalities. You know I have comments. <laughs> I don't have to say them because you know what they're going to be. Albuquerque drivers are horrendous. One thing that pisses me off immensely is that about one-third of Albuquerque drivers never use their blinkers. It's almost as if they don't know they exist. They just weave in and out of traffic without a care in the world. Yeah. That is pretty much everywhere. Blinkers are just a suggestion. Number 16, Alaska. You know... I can kind of see why Alaska would be on the list. It's freaking cold and everybody's just cold and mad. And they live in Alaska, so they're cold, mad, and unsociable. Alaskan drivers have the misfortune of being both limited... Uh, bleh. Alaskan drivers have the misfortune, misfortune of both limited daylight and icy roads. So perhaps they could be excused... They can be excusing for performing poorly on smart assets rankings. In addition to animals on the road, really big, unpredictable animals, like moose, remember? Giant, drunk toddlers. You face additional hazards. Frozen roads mean ice. White ice you can see, and black ice you can't see, so a normal-looking road can actually include a patch of ice that sends you skidding. Snowy roads mean many things. The light powder snow of the interior, that means frozen skidding intersections. The oatmeal snow of south central, that means pulling on your steering, and both of those plus slushy snow in southeast, that means slipping, sliding, sucking shoulders kind of snow. Yes, I will agree. 83.9% of drivers have auto insurance, but there are also 5.39 DUI arrests for every 1,000 drivers in the state. Uh, gee, I wonder why. And nothing else to do when you have no daylight and the roads suck. You might as well just sit at home and drink. Number 15, Colorado. Everybody's looking at the scenery. Sometimes dubbed the Mile High State for its high elevation, Colorado's also got a bit of a reputation for residents driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs. It's Colorado. The state reported a conviction rate of 88% for DUI charges in 2018, and Smart Assets says there are 4.64 DUI arrests for every 1,000 drivers. Now, I wonder how many of those DUIs are marijuana related <laughs> because if they are you're driving really really slow in january 2021 cbs denver reported that 47 percent of drivers that are tested are testing positive for marijuana there we go followed by amph amphetamines and cocaine According to the Colorado Bureau of Investigation and the Colorado State Patrol, said DUI arrests involving marijuana were up 48% in the last year. Boils down to this, Colorado is a transient state. People from all regions of the country converge on the road with completely different driving styles, each suited for the region they came from. This is the recipe for interesting driving. Colorado is the driving equivalent of mulligan stew. <laughs> that analogy. Uh, all right, number 14, South Carolina. 89.1% of drivers in South Carolina have auto insurance, 
perhaps due to high driving fatalities. There are 1.73 fatalities per 100 million vehicle miles traveled in the state. I quickly became convinced that people here learn to drive by putting on human-sized horse blinders, breaking the turn signal off of the steering column of their cars, always cruise to the leftmost lane of whatever road you're on, and being told that you should just drive whatever speed you feel like, which in the South nearly always means slow. The city of Charleston is considered one of the worst places in the country for dangerous driving. According to Insurify, over 15% of drivers have a speeding ticket on their record, and almost 17% are with an at-fault accident. All right. Wyoming. You have moose and buffalo. That would make for difficult driving. I get it. Driving could get pretty rough and tumble in the Cowboy State, which reports 7.50 DUI arrests for every 1,000 drivers. That's the highest DUI rate in the country. Wyoming's also known for poor winter weather conditions, which makes it even more stressful to drive in. I routinely watch these people drive like morons when the ground when the ground blizzards, snow and ice are blatantly obvious, the wind is pushing their vehicle around like crazy, and the signs everywhere have reduced speed limits and weather warnings. You have to be a complete moron and completely lacking in common sense not to stop somewhere or at least slow the hell down, not tailgate people. Whiner. Number 12, Alabama. It's because they're all rushing to the dentist to get their new teeth. Alabama has only 0.01 DUI arrests for every 1,000 drivers, but there are 1.3 fatalities per 100 million vehicle miles traveled in the state. Twitter user at Ian Hop believes it's the city of Birmingham. Oh, okay. You know what? I am totally down for the city of Birmingham. I've been there, done that. Mm. It's the city of Birmingham that has some of the worst drivers in the country, blaming the growing population, lack of public transit, and abundance of Southern politeness. A high rate of SP, Southern politeness, means we don't properly shame bad driving with honking horns. Birmingham has not crossed the honk threshold. The honk threshold is where population size, population density, and population diversity all increase enough to water down the collective sense of Southern politeness. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. Number 11. Alan, this one's for you. Arkansas. The natural state is considered one of the most disaster prone states for heavy rain flooding and thunder and lightning storms. It's also the most dangerous state for driving in the rain, according to a 2018 report from SafeWise. 80.7% of drivers in Arkansas are insured. That's good. There are 1.36 fatalities per 100 million vehicle miles traveled in the state. Plenty of crashes occur in wet weather, and one resident told Little Rock Station ABC7 on your side that he didn't think kids got enough training for driving in certain weather conditions. I know that driving in Little Rock hasn't been great my whole life, but I swear most younger folks seem to have learned to drive using Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yeah, do you remember when somebody wanted to drive? <laughs> 
just popped into my head. <laughs> oh, funny. Number 10, Missouri. 83.6% of drivers have car insurance in the Show Me State, but there are 3.33 DUI arrests for every 1,000 drivers. Although Missouri doesn't allow drivers to drink while driving, the state doesn't bar them from having open containers of alcohol beside them. Drink at a red light? I don't know. NPR station KCURFM 89.3 says researchers have found that enforcing open container restrictions reduces drinking and driving by 17%. Well, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> you can't have your beer beside you while you're driving. Odds are you're not going to drink it while you're driving. You're more likely to see road rage here, but you're also more likely to end up stuck at a stop sign while everyone competes for most polite driver and won't actually go. All right. Number nine, Kentucky. The bluegrass state lands in the bottom 10 for bad driving, but you can't just blame the occasional runaway racehorse for causing accidents. Wait a minute. Did we just go from Arkansas number 11 to number 9? Did we miss 10? How did we miss 10? Did we miss 10? Oh, no, Missouri was 10. Terribly sorry. Moving on. Number 9, Kentucky. There are a lot of issues with Louisville drivers, but the texting and driving here is particularly out of control. I have lived here since 2014, and in that time, I have had two cars totaled by texters running red lights. Just last week, I nearly had a third accident at the same intersection as one of the first two, Grand Lane and Preston. There are 5.14 DUI arrests for every 1,000 drivers and 1.48 fatalities per 100 million vehicle miles traveled in the state. And it's not going to tell me how many people are insured. Number eight, Arizona. Arizona has the 10th highest fatality rate at 1.40 per 100 million vehicle miles traveled, and there are 3.36 DUI arrests for every 1,000 drivers. Some believe the state often lands in the worst driver rankings because of motorists from all across the country passing through the state with their diverse driving styles. Everyone's a transplant here. The 202 I-10-101 are really just cocktails of awful driving habits from each state, all forced into five lanes. The city of Phoenix is also notorious for its bad traffic and the intersections of Interstate 17 and Interstate 10 and Interstate 10 and the U.S. 60 are considered some of the worst areas in the country for congestion. So now you know where to avoid. Number six is also is tied with... Number five, or number seven, Tennessee. The Volunteer State dropped from third to sixth place this year in Smart Assets ranking. However, it's still a state with some of the worst drivers in the nation. In Tennessee, only 76.3% of drivers are insured, the third lowest percentage across all the states. And there are 3.50 DUI arrests for every 1,000 drivers. What really makes me crazy is that people think they are being nice by slowing down to a crawl in order to let people merge from an on-ramp. It's not so nice for the people behind them. Not so nice at all. Grumpy. <laughs> number six is also tied with number seven, Oklahoma. 
the Sooner State has the sixth highest fatality rate on the list at 1.43 per 100 million vehicle miles driven. And there are 3.59 DUI arrests for every thousand drivers. In 2019, 24 people were killed in Oklahoma due to wrong way driving crashes, according to the Oklahoma State Safety Office. You know, they might want to look at the signs that tell you which direction you're supposed to go. Because if they have that many people killed in wrong way driving, there's, I mean, obviously they're not seeing the sign that says, hey, dumbass, wrong way. Just a thought. National Transportation Safety Board says alcohol impairment is the single most significant factor in most wrong way driving crashes. Never mind. I have to make the joke that Oklahoma City drivers always look like they just discovered highways. They either drive with utter intensity or coast along, including a rolling roadblock with miles of cars backed up, nothing but open highway in front, and three or four drivers just cruising. <laughs> You'd pop a vein. <laughs> Number five, Nevada. Yeah, I'm not surprised. The Silver State has the highest rate in Smart Assets Google Search metric. While nearly 90% of drivers in the state are insured, Nevada has the seventh highest DUI arrest rate at 5.44 per 1,000 drivers. That's because the dumbasses are walking the strip, drinking their way down, drinking their way back, heading to the free parking garage, hopping in their car and heading home. Some say Las Vegas is the worst off due to the many tourists that arrive for the city's glittering casino strip. Because a great deal of the drivers are tourists, many of whom are from other countries where the rules of the road are different or where they don't have to drive because of their excellent public transportation systems. They also have no idea where they are going and are also dazzled by the shiny lights of the casinos and tourist attractions. Yep, that's why you park your car and walk. Number four, Florida. Oh, I, I know. I can vouch for that. One of them crazy drivers is my mother. Floridian drivers have a reputation for being particularly rude on the roads. Some blame the heat. Other states because of all the tourists and out-of-towners and a few point fingers at all the seniors and snowbirds. Only 79.6% of drivers are insured. That's the sixth lowest percentage across all the states. And the state has the ninth highest number of fatalities at 1.41 per 100 million vehicle miles traveled. There's a dangerous combination of overly aggressive and or distracted drivers everywhere. Old people doing 10 under the speed limit and tourists who are completely lost. Yeah. Except for my mom, she speeds. Coming in at number three, we have California. <laughs> I can totally vouch for that. The Golden State doesn't shine when it comes to driving. Smart Asset says it has more drivers than any other state in the country. But only 83.4% are insured. Now, let me remind you, people, that there are 2 million more people in the state of California than the entirety of Canada. So there are actually more drivers in the state of California, probably, than in the entire country of Canada. Just saying. California State also has the 15th highest number of DUI arrests at 4.42 per 1,000 drivers. You know what? I believe it. Every other car, I swear, is a crackhead.
Another study by, quote, Wizard says four cities in the state, Riverside, Bakersfield, Fresno, Sacramento, among the top 10 worst drivers in the country as well. I'm in social, and I kid you not, I have literally seen a girl who is eating a bowl of something that looked like cereal while driving on the 60. I've also seen a guy with both of his legs up on the dash, with his steering wheel between his legs, also on the 60. Don't ever take me on the 60K. <laughs> He's got that nope look. Nope, nope, nope. Number two, North Dakota. The Peace Garden State regularly suffers from icy road conditions and the occasional blizzard, which doesn't help drivers much. However, it also has the highest number of DUI arrests at 8.68 for every thousand drivers. The state leaped from the 20th spot last year to second place this year for worst driver by state. Wow, that's a hell of a leap. There's so many people who run red lights. I've seen school buses, police cars, and garbage trucks run red lights. I've seen numerous passenger vehicles run red lights. I give a bit of a pass to semi-trucks because it takes them so long to start moving that a lot of times the light is red before they get completely through the intersection. There's so many folks who run red lights that when the light turns green, people don't start moving because they don't want to get hit by a light runner. It makes driving in Bismarck infuriating. Don't go to Bismarck. Number one. Coming in at number one. Not surprised, Mississippi. The Magnolia State usually tanks in most state rankings across multiple metrics, and it makes no exception for poor driving. Mississippi drivers think red lights are just a suggestion. Mississippi has the lowest percentage of insured drivers of all 50 states at 70.6%. As well as the second highest fatality rate at 1.56 per 100 million vehicle miles driven. Multiple reports claim the state also allows drivers to have open alcohol containers while driving, as long as the bl driver's blood alcohol level is below 0.08%. So you can drink and drive as long as you remain sober. Now, if you've ever done the how to drink alcohol course, you know that you can drink one beer, one glass of wine, or one shot every hour and remain under 0.08%. Give or take, depends on your body size. So think about that. You're on a four-hour trip. What do you do? You make sure you got your license. You make sure you got your pack of luckies. And you fill your cooler with four beer and off you go. Good grief. Well, yeah, I know where I'm not driving. Try just checking the next, the next one. I think we'll save that for next week. And I'm going to call it a night because it's now 1230. I need some quality snuggle time, which will probably be about 4.6 minutes. And then I'll be asleep. Oh, okay. I've been told three minutes. <laughs> and then it'll be butt snuggling. 
we just might start out with butt snuggling. You know, it's 1230. I'm sick. He's tired. We're sick and tired. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's been a blast. Holy crap. It's almost been an hour and a half. I'm out of here. I will talk to you guys all next week. Hopefully I am in much better shape. Have a good week. Stay out of trouble. See ya. Carry on my way, son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry.